Uh, listen, I think there's a lot of NFL teams uh, who would like to have Andy Dalton as a quarterback. And once he's completely symptom-free, I would want him to be four to six weeks beyond that. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let my kid play probably for six weeks, not just, not just four weeks. On this episode of the Against the Grain podcast, we'll talk to a former quarterback who was just joined on an all-time list by Patrick Mahomes. Trust me, it's not who you think. And we'll talk to a sports doctor who will help us sort out all this mess in the NFL. Let's do this thing. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Against the grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. Man, what a week, too. Some big upsets, a lot of injuries, a lot of intrigue. I want to take this opportunity to complain about five different things related to the NFL. Is that cool with you, Mario? Yeah, go for it. That's Mario, the producer, who just, by the way, went to the Texas Rice game. Man, throughout the record books. Was the game even close? No. Okay. From the yeah, from the kickoff, it was blowout. Pretty much. I have a buddy who went to Rice, played tight end there, made the NFL named James Casey, and he is the smartest, nerdiest NFL player there ever was, which I love. Okay, five things I'm going to complain about in the Against the Grain podcast. Number one, my Super Bowl prediction. I do not like that I took the Eagles because I think the best team in the NFC right now. Try and guess the Dallas Cowboys. They are so stacked now. It's hard to tell because. You know, we saw them beat the Redskins on Sunday, and the Redskins are really shorthanded. They don't have Jordan Reed. They don't have a running game. My guy, Case Keenum, did well, but they're really shorthanded, and their defense has been bad. But that team seems almost perfect in a modern NFL kind of way. They have a great running game with Zeke Elliott. Dak Prescott all of a sudden can't miss a a pass. He was 26 of 30. Uh, And the defense, Leighton Vander Esch, he runs out a running back who catches a pass like it's like an animation. It's ridiculous. Jalen Smith, even more ridiculous. Then their cornerback, Byron Jones, I thought he was supposed to be banged up. He's like glue. There are so many playmakers here. I have trouble seeing anybody beating the Cowboys. The thing with them, too, is they're so young. So I yeah. think they're going to be like this for a while. I, you know, I, this is just the beginning, I feel, of their dominance. I yeah, yeah, things change fast in the NFL. They have to pay Dak Prescott. They may have to pay Amari Cooper. So we'll see if it holds up. But I feel like it's it's kind of hard to root against the Cowboys right now. Then again, you know, listen, it's a long season. They they have the Dolphins, so they're going to win that one. Then they go to the Saints, probably no breeze. Then they host the Packers. I still like them in that. Then they go to the Jets. The the real showdown will be on October twentieth when the Eagles come. It's interesting, though. I feel like it's going to be a really hot start for the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Number two, offensive holding. It's ruining the NFL. I've been complaining about this since week one. So there were 70 calls of offensive holding so far in week two, and this is taped on Monday afternoon. The all-time record, I believe, is 79 from 2018, the second-ever uh, this is 1991 since they kept, kept charting this at Stats Inc. The second ever was week one. So this is going to be the second or first most holding calls we'll ever see in a weekend. Why is the NFL gutting their own product by calling offensive holding every play? Mario, explain what Roger Goodell is thinking. Well, I think I actually have no idea. <laughs> I think they're trying to emphasize it early. And I notice they call it on early downs a lot, too, because it doesn't hurt the team that much. But it feels like a lot of teams are living in first and twenty. The Broncos' left tackle, Garrett Bowles, gets holding almost every play. 
he was trying to stop Khalil Mack on Sunday, so that makes sense. But it really kind of kills the flow. And the worst part is they're big plays where you're immediately instinctually going to see if there was a flag, which I hate. Okay, number three thing I'm complaining about this week. The Saints without Drew Brees. This is a classic case where you're going to look at the Saints without Drew Brees, and we're going to know how good is receiver Michael Thomas, how good is Alvin Kamara, how good is their new tight end Jared Cook. Because without Brees, I suspect they're all going to fall off. The question is how much. Teddy Bridgewater looked pretty bad on Sunday. He'll get better when he has a full week of reps as a starter. I just worry about these guys who everyone assumed were future Hall of Famers, huge contracts. Is that going to keep up without Drew Brees? What do you think, Mario? I don't think so. I don't either. I think all their shortcomings are going to be shown. I mean, Brees will be back. I don't really worry about the Saints long term. I think they could still make the playoffs. Uh, but Brees, man, they just did not look like the same team, obviously. You were, you were pushing for uh, Taysom Hill today. Oh. That Dan I, Patrick took issue with. I'm Mr. Taysom Hill. First of all, Taysom Hill gets in, and everybody on Twitter, everyone I follow, complains like, why are you taking Drew Brees off the field? Maybe Taysom Hill is the awesomest. <laughs> Have you ever considered that? The dude throws a 50-yard touchdown, then beats a cornerback for a 50-yard touchdown. It's the weirdest thing. People talk about Shohei Otani in baseball. Taysom Hill should be a much bigger thing. I don't even get it. He's on he's, special teams. He's a he's quarterback and a receiver. And no one's like, oh, why are they putting him on the field? And he bowls over people? I say let him play and play like an old-school college running quarterback. Do Kamara one play. Taysom Hill runs at you the next play. Love it. Okay, uh, number four, complain about. We have all these 2-0 teams who have played terrible teams. Okay, for example, I was talking about the Cowboys. They've beaten the Giants, who have no defense, and they beat the Redskins, who have no defense. You look at the 49ers. They beat the Bucks, They were iffy. And then they beat a Bengals team that is so bad right now. The defense is so horrible, I can't even get into it. Everyone knows the Ravens start off with the Dolphins, and then they host the Cardinals. So all, we're getting all excited about these teams. The Bills beat the Jets and the Giants. Two games. Do not overreact. Really do not overreact because we just do not know. Now, the Patriots beat two easy teams. Uh, you know, the Dolphins, anybody could beat. And the Steelers look pretty easy this year. Their whole, their whole schedule until about week eight or nine is totally easy. They're going to beat everybody. It doesn't even matter. Just do not overreact. I think there's going to be some real betting values because of just how easy these schedules are. Okay, my number five thing to complain about, I just referenced it. Everyone's killing the Bengals. Everyone's killing my guy, Andy Dalton. They're down to like their eighth string offensive lineman. I'm exaggerating, but Cordy Glenn's out. They tried to play Andre Smith at left tackle. It wasn't working. They have so many injuries. They lost their first-round pick, Jonah Williams, in the preseason. So the offensive line, not good. Defense, terrible. And yet, and yet, Mario, can you tell me where Andy Dalton ranks among NFL quarterbacks in passing yards? Just try and guess. I'm going to go just giving that your uh, your allegiance to Andy Dalton. He is six. He is second in the NFL in passing yards. Wow. So he had a great week one against Seattle. They missed the field goal and did win the game. He actually put up pretty good numbers and really not meaningful numbers in the loss to the Niners. But he is second right now. We still haven't played the Monday night game to Patrick Mahomes. So I, I really like the new coach, Zach Taylor, but this team is thin right now. Dalton played pretty well, made a mistake on an interception. John Ross, out of nowhere, played well. You have to understand, too, they don't have A.J. Green. So it's interesting. I, I think 
the team could be really bad and not win a lot of games, but Andy Dalton could be really good. So it'd be interesting to see how they move forward if they're really bad. Um, hopefully for Dalton, they won't be. But what's your guess? Say they were 4-12 and because the defense just never figured it out, or 3-13. and They sit in the top five. Do you think they would take a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, at this point, you haven't got they haven't gotten anywhere with Andy Dalton, whether it's you know his fault or it's anybody else's fault. You're an idiot. Seems, You're an idiot, Mario. No seems, way. <laughs> there seems like there's going to be teams that need a quarterback. Go send them somewhere and then start new. No, I disagree. You you build around Dalton because you need defense. You need to start draft. I can't believe they drafted a tackle who got injured again after they've been drafting tackles for years now. They need to draft defense. They need playmakers. But, of course, I'll probably be in the minority. But Dalton did did look pretty good. There's a lot of other problems on this team. Uh, but I want to get into the topics of the day. We're going to talk to Dr. Mark Addicts, who you may know from the Fantasy Zone on DirecTV. He uh, is an NFL doctor and really knows his stuff, and he can talk about Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger. Also going to talk to former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels, who came up today because he is on a list a great list of guys who've thrown the most touchdowns in a quarter of all time. Patrick Mahomes joins him this weekend. And we're going to talk about some NFL topics and some quarterback topics, including Lamar Jackson with Sage, who always has great insights. All right, let's get it started right now with the sports doc. All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Mark Addicts and you probably think that I want to talk about all these injuries, but I want to call about Baylor football and my guy, Matt Rule. How good, <laughs> how, and you're an active Baylor alum, how good is Matt Rule and how lucky is Baylor that he didn't jump to the NFL? Um, one, Matt Rule is incredibly good. And two, um, yes, I was thrilled that he didn't jump to the NFL. Obviously, uh, very frightened that he, someone's going to lure him away. At any moment, I mean, I think he's an elite uh, coach, uh, and you know, I just, I just hope that he wants to stay because. But the bottom line is, he's turned the program around. I mean, we went from you know winning one game to uh, winning seven and winning a bowl game against uh, against Vanderbilt. So, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm 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 hopeful we can win eight or nine games this year, and uh, and then see see what happens. Okay, let's uh, jump into the, I mean, there's no time with all the injuries that are happening. You, I was just saying, you must be getting more camera time on Fantasy Zone than ever before. It feels like this year is starting off with a lot of big players. We learned today that Ben Roethlisberger out for the year, elbow injury. Um, but before you explain what happened, I saw what he was doing. It reminded me of like a pitcher who needed Tommy John or something. Can you explain exactly what's going on with Big Ben? Well, I mean, they haven't even come out and say and, and to say exactly what the injury is. But the bottom line is, is if he needs surgery and he's done for the year, it, it must be um, a ligament uh, and almost certainly Tommy John. You know, what, what was wild is I saw him throw the ball, and I was, you know, I was dealing with other injuries, but I saw him throw that ball. I analyzed that injury, and nobody hit him. Um, you know, very often a quarterback might get, get hit on the wrist as they're moving forward, which can really put a lot of strain both on the elbow and, and the shoulder, lead to labral tears in the shoulder and, and, and ulnar collateral ligament injuries in the, in, the, in the elbow. But the way he grabbed his arm, I thought, oh, it's just a little bit of, you know, kind of a tendonitis, a little bit of, you know, maybe even a little muscle strain. You know, you, you see that in baseball pitchers too. So I was hopeful that, 
you know, that this would not be a long-term injury. And honestly, just based on the video of when he came out was, you know, was surprised that it turned into something as, as serious as it was. Is is Tommy John a thing for NFL quarterbacks? Is that something that's happened a lot? No, it's not. It's not at all. I mean, you know, and I'll have, I'll have athletes who have elbow issues during baseball that are quarterbacks and have no trouble throwing a football, which doesn't make a lot of sense given that a football weighs quite a bit more than a baseball. But, but uh, I think it, you know maybe it has to do with the velocity um, uh, and the acceleration that, that that goes into throwing a baseball that's different with a football. But um, no, it's a rare thing. Okay, and, and I mean we don't know for sure yet if that's what right, he right. Has, but but uh, that's that is the assumption is that that some ligament tore. For him to need surgery that season end. Okay, another big star who went down, Drew Brees, hurt his hand. Uh, I, you know, that's a, another thing that's funny with quarterbacks. That feels a lot more common where you hurt your hand. How serious is this injury for the Saints quarterback? All right, so I mean, you see a couple different things. When the quarterback's following through, he may hit a helmet, you know, and and end up with a fracture. Um, in this case. You know, he was following through as Aaron Donald's going to try to block the pass and sack him, and Aaron Donald's big paw, you know, <laughs> basically contact, you know, contacted his thumb and forced it down. And the injury that that, uh, and I don't know if they've actually come out and said what the injury is. They've just said he needs surgery and is going to be out six weeks. But the the, the the injury that's really common is called an ulnar collateral ligament injury of the thumb. And you see it in snow skiers sometimes when they when they wreck and there's you know the ski pole sort of yanks on the thumb in that direction, but it's it's a it's a pretty common injury in the NFL across multiple positions, and with you know with a lineman you you literally throw them in a club and they're good to go. I mean they could have surgery and and they can play the next week. Uh, a quarterback is the one position when you're talking about a throwing hand where you really got an issue because it makes it very very difficult to grip a ball. The ulnar collateral ligament is what allows you to push your thumb. You know, it's what allows you to oppose your thumb. And so it, it's just, it, it makes it near impossible. And really they have new surgical techniques that, that some people can even come back as early as four weeks, but wow. in a, with a hall of fame quarterback, with a hall of fame quarterback, um, I, I would not feel comfortable allowing him to return um, for the full six weeks, but 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 I I don't think they put him on IR. I don't expect them to put him on IR because I think he'll be back uh, prior to the eight weeks. You'd have to hold someone out if you put him on IR, designated to return. So uh, some people trying to find a silver lining said maybe this rest will help Drew Brees' shoulder. Have you noticed sort of a, a decline in arm strength with Drew Brees lately? You know, I, mean, I don't think it's been dramatic. You know, I, I but I I think that. Uh, you know, Tom Brady's kind of the exception. I mean, I, I, I think that I I was noticing both with, with Big Ben and with Breeze that they didn't seem to have quite the same zip on the ball. And now, you know, now to have that come out about uh, about Ben's elbow. And I my, my wonder with him is, was this 
existing, pre-existing from the off-season, from training camp earlier. Um, and then with Drew, obviously the thumb is a, is a traumatic injury, but the shoulder may be, may be the reason. And, you know, I mean, I, the, it's like the Kawhi Leonard thing, right? I mean, if you can limit somebody's minutes, are they going to be fresher at the end of the season in the playoffs? I mean, it may, <laughs> be, it may be, it very well may be a blessing in disguise, provided they can remain, you know, competitive and get in the playoffs. Yeah, hopefully for Saints fans. I mean, the you know the NFC South has not really stepped up early. Okay, I want to ask you about, there are a couple near injuries. One that I saw where Russell Wilson slid and got his leg caught underneath him at Heinz Field. And people were criticizing the turf. And then I watched the, the last game ever where there was a baseball diamond where the Raiders play. It seemed to me there was a criticism on Sunday that the NFL has all this money, and yet they seem not to invest in 32 different fields to make them as injury-proof as possible. Is that a fair criticism? You know, I, I think they do their best. I mean, they, 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 if you're playing on a natural grass field, they tend to have a really a really qualified, um, essentially a greenskeeper, right, for a, a great golf course. Uh, and and they do the best they can. I mean, I remember the, the field that always annoyed me the most was, was Green Bay. Once it froze. Oh, yeah. You know, and then they, they had some pipes underneath it that would sort of thaw the field, but then it was just slop. And so you'd, you'd see someone go to slide, and they literally dig in and then stop abruptly, which can, I mean, which can injure ankles, knees, and hips. Um, and, and that's kind of what I saw with Russell Wilson is he was, you know, doing what looked to be a routine slide, and all of a sudden he, 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 he catches his, his – uh, foot in the turf and then and then you know honestly you can wrench everything he's just such a thick muscular guy that he's able to to sort of protect himself so the best surface is grass though from a health standpoint from a knee standpoint especially i i preferred grass and every every player that i know preferred grass that except for maybe defensive linemen okay defensive linemen i i think they have an advantage to have more reliable footing you know, probably a defensive back too. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't, you don't want to try to stay with a wide receiver and then slip. You know, I, I think that they probably would prefer turf from a competitive standpoint, but from an injury standpoint, I think everybody prefers grass. Okay. Uh, there has been a few concussions as always this year. Uh, in Saturday Night Football, the Eagles offensive lineman, JC, Jason Kelsey, walked to the wrong sideline, got in the protocol, then came back 15 minutes later. I don't want you. To, you don't have to go out of your way to criticize the NFL, but how are they doing on label or sort of identifying concussions and keeping players off the field? Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, they do have a comprehensive program, right? There are three sure. certified athletic trainers up in the stands that are supposed to help the medical teams and the coaches on the sidelines so that nobody slips through the uh, the protocol, and then. Once the player comes onto the sideline, then you were in the hands of the, you know, the independent neurologic consultant, you know, the guy in the red hat. And he takes you into the tent and does an exam. And then if there's anything that he's concerned about, he takes you to the locker room. So, I mean, there should be no way people slip through. But the bottom line is, did he walk to the long sideline on purpose or did he walk to, you know, and just to give himself more time to clear his head. So then he was, when he was dealing with the neurologic consultant, his head was clear, Um, you know, because that guy only has, you know, he only has uh, the exam to go on. You know, I mean, the lineman could say, 
No, I did that on purpose. I was just, you know, I was just going over to talk some trash. You just don't, you just, (laughs) as the guy, as the doctor examining the player, all you have is what you see in front of you, you know, and and I'm sure by the time he got over there that that he entirely passed the the exam that he (laughs) was given. And so by rule, he's allowed to return, you know. And whether or not his bell was rung, I, I was on an airplane and didn't see the game, so I didn't see the play. Uh, so it's hard for me to, well, to comment. I know you're an orthopedic surgeon, and concussions are a different thing. What if Jordan Reed, he's a player I've been kind of fascinated with lately, the tight end on the Redskins, who hasn't suited up this year because of a long-term concussion, and he's had multiple concussions. If he called you up and said, Doc, what do you think I should do? It seems to like the average fan, and I'm telling you this from, I know a lot of fans say he should just hang them up why what do you, what would you tell a player like that if, if he called you up well i mean i have two boys that played football right? And, right and what i said to them is neither one of them would have a chance to play you know professional football but i, I told both of them look you know if you're if you're having multiple concussions what you shouldn't be playing um and and with if you have prolonged symptoms i i think that it is entirely reasonable to walk away, right? I mean, if you if you've had a concussion and your symptoms are going on for an extended period of time, I think that 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 is a reasonable thing. I mean, I had several concussions starting in high school, through college, and in pros. And you know, I'm almost 60 years old, and I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and I, I obviously have not seen any ill effects. But but what I would say to, uh, but I never had prolonged symptoms. I mean, I was always. You know, like the boxer that gets knocked down and somehow you know survives the round and then goes on to win the fight. You know, I mean, it it was it was never it was never like I had prolonged symptoms uh, at any point. And but if if you did, it just means I mean everybody's different. You know, it's like one person smokes cigarettes for eighty years and is fine, and the next one smokes cigarettes for five years and has lung cancer. You know, you don't know which 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 category you fall in, but if you have prolonged symptoms from a concussion, chances are you're 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 falling into the group that uh, mm. is going to have more you know serious long term effects. So, well, Doctor Addicts, I mean, I, I don't know how it's a little uncomfortable here, but is it possible you didn't know because all the production guys told me that you used to confuse the dressing room and the bathroom all the time at Fantasy Zone? So maybe you know. I mean, it was. I didn't realize that there was a, a, a another restroom in the in the facility, and so uh, <laughs> I thought that was it. I thought that was my only option. I was joking. Uh, I didn't even know that this was a real issue. No, dude, it was totally a thing. <laughs> oh my like, god! Right across from the right across from the uh, the control room, there was a yeah, there was I, a restroom that doubled as a doubled as a doubled as a, uh, as a dressing room. I know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. We use that studio for the Dan Patrick show. Maybe subconsciously, that's why I said it. But I always felt awkward about using that bathroom because there, you know, there's like a giant makeup tray. I'm like, I don't know what to, it's just sitting here. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, the new guy on the block making a fool of himself. Yeah, like there's a big celebrity in the makeup chair, and you just sort of sit down and do your business while he's getting. That would not be good. That's probably yeah, a bad no. idea. Okay, uh, last question. Uh, what do you expect out of uh, Jets quarterback Sam Darnold with mono? I had it in college. I got to tell you, coming back in four weeks, that seems like a lot. Well, yeah, all right. So my brother had it too. And, I mean, he, he got so sick. He was an offensive lineman. He lost 50 pounds. Did he have it in um, season or while he was he playing? Had it, he had it. He was catch, he was. He caught it 
right after the season had ended. But mm. it was a senior. It was a senior in high school. So when he came up for his recruiting trip to Baylor, where I was playing, um, everyone thought he was a kicker. I mean, they didn't, <laughs> no he's like, no, I'm an offensive lineman. They're like, no, no, you're not. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so um, I, the, the big the big worry with mon, with mono is is that you have this swelling of the spleen, right? And yeah. you have a splenic rupture, which can be a fatal injury if if not treated, you know, emergently. And so that is something you don't want to have happen. Most splenic ruptures occur within the first three weeks, right? So it's players that may, may, maybe have mono, don't realize it, and are playing when their spleen is most inflamed. Um, if you look in the literature about when players return, you generally see, you know, in other words, return to contact sport after mono. And the soonest you see anybody return is is a couple weeks, but you see people return all the way out to six months. And so what really, what I would do, and the way I look at it is, if you're treating people like you treat your, yourself or your family, you're doing the right thing, right? So if it was my kid, my kid has mono, when am I going to let him go back on the field? Um, I would want him to be completely symptom-free. And once he's completely symptom-free, I would want him to be four to six weeks beyond that. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let my kid play probably for six weeks, not just, not just four weeks. And, and, uh, you know, that being said, uh, they're saying you might be able to get back in mean, four weeks. I think four weeks is, is it's possible. But, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what's in it for the jets because they, it looks like, you know, they're playing tonight as we tape, but it looks like they might be rebuilding anyway. And the way you say it, it seems like a risk. Why take that risk? I agree. I mean, I think he's, I think he's a really good player and, and, you know, just kind of coming into his own. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm sure they will, they will consult specialists. I am not a mono expert or, you <laughs> know, know. A, a spleen, a spleen inflammation expert, but you know, I, certainly mono is something that we treat just like concussions or something we, we, we treat as, as sports medicine doctors who, who, who serve on sidelines. So, um, so I certainly have, have thought about it and, and, and know what's going on. Well, I really appreciate your time, Dr. Addicts. Hopefully, you know, there won't be a week where we lose two Hall of Fame quarterbacks again anytime soon. Yeah, it's been, it really has, I mean, it really has been a crazy season. And, and, you know, I just hate, I hate to see players that make the game that much more fun to watch. I hate, I hate seeing them go out. And, uh, I, you know, as a former chief and Redskin, those are my teams. Those are yep. who I root for. So I was super bummed about seeing Tyree Kill go down. And, uh, but Pat Mahomes seems to find somebody to throw to no matter what. <laughs> yeah, I think the Chiefs will be okay. All right, we'll talk to you uh, down the road as the season goes on. Thanks so much for your time. You bet, man. Talk to you later. Always great to talk to the doc. He has so much insight. When you're with him watching a game, he sees it completely differently. He's looking at a guy's knees and shoulders. It's kind of cool. Uh, and is, of course, a very loyal Baylor fan. Now we're going to talk to an Iowa State alum and former NFL quarterback. All right, so we're going along the Dan Patrick Show today, and we come up on this list of quarterbacks who have thrown four touchdowns in a quarter. And right there, smack dab in the middle of it, my buddy Sage Rosenfels, former NFL quarterback for 12 years, former Iowa State star, now, Sage, you knew about this record. How many quarterbacks do you think also threw for at least four touchdowns at a quarter? 
Well, I had thought when it happened, um, and it, for me it happened in a game, we were down something like 35-2. to two. We had gotten some random safety early in the, in the first half, and I came in for the second half, and we just sort of marched our way down and, and kept making things happen the fourth quarter. So at the time, I thought it was only four or five, so I felt really special. Uh, but it does sound like a lot of uh, various quarterbacks have have tied that record in recent years. Well, it's a it's an interesting list. Let's run down it real quick. It's it's about thirteen, I think. I Roy McKay in nineteen forty five for the Packers. Uh, don't know him. Norm Van Brocklin, of course. Tom Flores, Super Bowl winning coach. George Blanda, Daryl Lamonica. So two Oakland quarterbacks, Flores and Lamonica. Stabler in Houston. Tommy Kramer, borderline all famer. Joe Montana. Jim Harbaugh. Did you know that one? I did not know that one. Yeah. No. Vinny Testaverde in 2000, in 2000 versus the Dolphins. I think I know that game. Donovan McNabb did oh, it. Oh, I know that game. That was, yeah. the, uh, that was the Monday Night Miracle or yep. something like that. Like that Jumbo Elliott or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Donovan McNabb in 04, then you in 07 against the Titans. Tom Brady threw five against the Titans in 2009, same team you did it against. I don't remember that at all. Do you remember that? I don't. Yeah, uh, I don't remember. I, I didn't know anybody had five, and I didn't know the list was this long. Maybe it was <laughs> when I saw that list, and I I had thrown four. Maybe it was you know in the last fifteen years or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Uh, then, it does seem like they're a lot a long time ago, and <laughs> there's some reason. But I did not know Tom Brady threw five. That's that's incredible. Well, I mean, you, you usually a lot of times you get five possessions in a half. Well, the fact that he threw five uh, touchdowns in the quarter is outstanding. It must be. A, and then Flacco, Rogers, and Mahomes uh, yesterday got it. It's pretty cool to be on a list with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Joe Montana's on here. A lot of the snake. The snake. I mean, that's not a bad list to be in here. Uh, Flacco doesn't really well, help I, you much. I, my, but. I wonder. I wonder if I'm the only sort of career backup on that list. It looks like to me most of those guys were, you know, either starters or straight up like Pro Bowl, um, you know, Hall of Fame type names. So. Uh, maybe I'm the only uh, you know backup type guy on that list. It's a pretty good list, though. Now, do you know how many career touchdowns you had? Uh, thirty. Right. So you had four of thirty in this one quarter. I don't know that. I'm not great <laughs> at math, but yeah. Are you trying to diminish the rest of my career? <laughs> no, that was that was mean. I'm sorry. That uh, Tom Flores, by the way, had 93 touchdowns in his career. I did not know. I got to be honest. I would. I didn't even really know he was a quarterback. That was 1963, the two-time Raiders Super Bowl winning coach. Um, so that was pretty cool, though. Uh, did you know? Did you realize this when Mahomes did it on Sunday? Well, I know. You know, anytime it happens, uh, and I did think about that. Like, well, I had Patrick Mahomes to the list. You know, <laughs> I think what's interesting about my situation compared, you know, if we broke down all of the others, but in my situation, we were so far behind. Um, where these guys, that you know, uh, the situation the other day was that the first quarter or the second quarter with Mahomes? Second early quarter in the game. Second, second quarter. quarter. Yeah. So. I mean, it wasn't like they were in catch-up mode. In my situation, we were in two-minute offense the in, pretty much the entire second half, but obviously the fourth quarter. So it was getting a lot of plays off, playing against a you know softer defense. You saw a lot more you know cover two zones, so I could get completions and sort, sort, sort of methodically move the ball down the field, and then you get in scoring range and you take a couple shots and we hit them. Uh, you know, these other situations, uh, obviously Mahomes yesterday. Man, early in the football game to do that when you're not in some sort of hurry up, because I said before, you, you generally don't get four possessions yeah. uh, in one quarter. You just don't. I mean, it happens. I mean, I mean, like, from time to time, but you know, a lot of times NFL games are 
anywhere between at the lowest. I would say I played in the nine possession game once and at the highest, probably, you know, 17. So to get four, four possessions in one quarter and throw touchdowns in all of them, uh, very, very impressive by Pat Mahomes, which is not surprising. That guy, uh, he, he is a miracle worker. Oh, he's ridiculous. Uh, hey, I want to ask you, you were on seven teams and you were on the Dolphins for two stints, I believe. Have you ever been on a team that, I don't want to say that we're tanking because it's not fair, but have you ever been on a team where it was so clear you weren't going to win games that everybody sort of was playing for the future? Huh, that's a good question. I, I was pretty lucky for the most part. Uh, I, I was on teams that were competitive, were trying to make the playoffs, uh, tried to be in the hunt. You know, in particular, those Dolphins teams were good. There was one year we started off one and nine. Uh, Dave Wanstead get got fired. You know, and we I, we we definitely did not tank after that. But there was definitely a different vibe. Uh, you know, that last third of the season, you know, knowing we're not going to get to the playoffs. We really have nothing to play for. We weren't, you know, tanking, I guess, to try to get somebody in the draft. But I think you would say that the the overall uh, concentration level, you know, during the week probably wasn't as high for a lot of, you know, a lot of some of the players on the team. Uh, you know, we played in a game. Uh, we played in Seattle and San Francisco back to back during that the end of that season. And I definitely know guys after the Seattle loss immediately jumped on a plane and went to Las Vegas. For like 48 hours because uh, we had Monday and Tuesday off. Of Wait, that, did you go that, that week? So no, no, I did not go. <laughs> okay, uh, but luckily I, I also had family. Uh, one, I, I wasn't invited. Okay, but two, I, I had family in San Francisco, and I was like looking forward to, to hanging out with them. I actually, ended up hanging out with Wes Welker oh. that night, who was a uh, basically just a punt returner, kickoff returner on that football team. I don't even know if he caught one pass as a wide receiver that entire year. Uh, goes to show, you know, how well we were using our best <laughs> players. And so, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I don't think I was ever on a team that you could say was was tanking. And you know, I listen. I, I played for for twelve years. Four of those years it was, it was Miami Dolphin. And you know, uh, of those four years, every year we had expectations to make the playoffs. Even in that one and nine year going into it, we had high expectations. That was the year Ricky Williams retired. You know, the next year, Nick Saban came in. We were nine and seven. I think we were ten and six, nine and seven, nine and seven. And that had that one bad year. Uh, you know, and that franchise had a lot of pride. Uh, you know, when I was playing with them, you know, the history there. Obviously, the '72 Dolphins, but Marino. You know, for basically two decades, they were consistently winning, consistently in the playoffs. They were always good. There was a very high expectation level there, and to see that franchise fall the way it has um, does not make me smile in any way. Uh, because I, you know, I said I had a lot of good memories down there, a lot of good years down there. They really do have great fans, in particular if you're winning. If you're losing, there's other things to do, and it's no fun to watch. And so uh, to see that franchise sort of fall the way it has is uh, it has it, not been you know fun. I'm not rooting for that by any means. I think it's it's nonsense, and and uh, I think those Dolphin fans deserve better. I, I kind of thought in the second half when th- they really played tough the first half, but when things started going south against the Patriots, I really felt like the defense gave up in a hard way. Do defenses and offenses, do players kind of give up? To me, it seems like in the NFL, you need to be at close to 100% intensity during a whole game, and it'll really show if you take the take your foot off the pedal a little bit. Well, that's why the sort of any given Sunday uh, phrase is always so good because, you know, everybody sort of has a chance on any Sunday and, and teams are fairly well matched. And, and when, if one team is just 
and not sort of pushing the envelope. And, and you see that probably more on defense. Yeah. You know, you really have to push the envelope to be successful. Uh, and when I say push the envelope as in, you know, risking injury, you know, really recklessly throwing your body around mm. the field uh, to, to, to stop the offense and the running game and the pass, whatever it might be, you have to be reckless on defense. And if uh, you don't see any sort of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, in particular for that game, but for this team only through two weeks for the entire year to not really see any light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I mean, at this point, these guys are basically, it's all your week too, but they're playing for their jobs. That's the way you got to look at it. You're going to play for your job for not only this year, but for next year, uh, for the future, you do not want to have uh, tape out there that you know, you're not giving 100%, that you're not pushing the envelope because teams do not want those types of guys on the roster that when the times are tough, they sort of shut it down and go into protection mode. So uh, it, th- th- those guys do have a lot to play for, but in particular, probably the number one thing they have to play for are their own careers uh, and their own legacies as they go forward. Okay, let's turn it to a more positive note. I want to talk about a quarterback that I'm sure has been compared to you a lot uh, as far as pure athleticism, Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you get that a lot? The sage I, I Lamar? do. Well, Lamar, um, I get that a lot. Well, I'm sort of a mix between Lamar Jackson and a, sort of a Kirk Cousins, you know, sort of just right in between those two. Wait, I'm trying to look up your running numbers. Could you – how good a running were numbers weren't bad. I was, I was sort of sneaky athletic, you know, I was a, <laughs> a five-sport athlete in high school. Sneaky athletic, it's a good phrase. But, you know, I wasn't a Jake Plummer by any means. I mean, Jake was a very, very good – you know, and we played in a very similar system with that sort of Kubiak bootleg stuff. But that was really my specialty. I, I, my probably, you know, I wasn't a great pocket passer, despite the fact that I was, you know, six four and two twenty five. You think that's traditional pocket passer size? But I did like to roll out of the pocket on bootleg type stuff, on play action type things. You know, when I was in college, we actually ran a lot of option. We were one of the first teams to install the zone read in college. I actually saw Drew Brees at Purdue running against USC at the first game of the year. We installed it that very, like the next day we're watching that film and said, wow, we think he's reading the defensive end and shotgun hadn't seen that before. That's cool. Uh, I ran the option. I ran the option in the veer in high school, which means you put the ball in the fullback's belly from under center uh, and you read the defensive end. And if he comes down the line, you, you tuck it and you run around the defensive end and pitch off the next player. Uh, But if he stays upfield, then you hand it off to your fullback. So I was used to, you know, running more of an option style. So when I was in college, I did run for, you know, make four, 450 yards or so my senior year. We ran a lot of option, ran a lot of that zone read stuff. And I was, I think I, I actually was at the Iowa, Iowa State game the other day and sitting next to a buddy that I grew up with and we were talking about when I was playing. He said that I was oddly effective in the <laughs> running game. That was the best way he described it. Oh, man. I like all the uh, euphemisms here. Sneaky, athletic, oddly effective for a white running quarterback. Now, I got to tell you, I pulled up your rushing numbers in the NFL. Those are not not so pretty. They didn't really unleash you. You don't don't do much option or zone. You know, we we didn't have that. And everything was, you know, pretty much drop back pass. And, you know, nothing. You know, you're only in shotgun pretty much if it was like third and six or longer. I mean, it, it 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 truly was. Uh, a different game and, and just in the last 20 years how much that game oh, has totally. changed and for me this the last you know seven or eight years the game has changed a lot and and you know what uh what baltimore is doing right now 
uh, and what I think other teams are going to start doing more and more. And the, the game will evolve, uh, and there'll still be a place for pocket passers. I mean, Tom Brady still won the Super Bowl. Tom Brady is still the slowest quarterback amongst the 32 stars in the league. I have to believe. Yeah, I can still you know consider him, you know, one of the best. Maybe not numbers wise, be a top five guy, but in clutch. Uh, he is 100% clutch, and he might be at the top. He probably is at the top of the list. Uh, and so I think there is a place for the Tom Brady's of the world. Uh, there's a, and there's a place for, uh, you know, what, what uh, Lamar Jackson's doing. And, and I think, you know, uh, the, what the really, really good ones are, like what Russell Wilson's doing, where mm. he can do some of the Lamar Jackson stuff, but yet he's a tremendous thrower. And what I love about what Lamar has done so far is, you know, we all watched those, that playoff game from last year and we all even watched the regular season games and they were struggling. They were winning by playing good defense, grinding out the running game. They were like leading the NFL and rushing during his starts. Uh, they would sort of just grind it out just sort of ugly football, but win ugly. Uh, and his passing was, it was sometimes okay. And sometimes pretty dang ugly. Uh, and, and then that playoff game was really bad. What I love seeing him so far is the way he worked this off season. You can see that improvement. Yep. And you always talk about that freshman year to sophomore year or rookie year to the second year, you know, that it's amazing. Once you really do sort of understand how the NFL game works more and more and timing and, and, and those, you know, those types of things, your footwork is so important. Your footwork leads to accuracy. Uh, you know, the windows get small in the NFL and you can tell he's become a much better passer uh, in the last seven months. Uh, by the way, just one thing: you're in 2002. You rushed two times for minus nine yards, according to this. Now, how come the, they that's on the scorekeeper? Because you could have counted those as sacks, as far as I don't even know what the plays were. But those sounds like that sounds like sack yardage to me. That's that's not well, fair. Well, one one was I I can tell you this play. I uh, North Turner's our offensive coordinator. We're <laughs> playing somebody. Uh, we're up by you know three four touchdowns. He puts me into the last drive, uh, and I think he. Uh, you tried to bootleg me out on like a second and 10 uh, and I couldn't get around the defensive end got called for like a, an eight yard loss. And then on the last down, they just kneeled it down. Uh, and then we had to be punted or something like that. So I, I believe oh. that was, that's my uh, nine yards of negative rushing uh, in the NFL during, during that time. Totally unfair. Okay. About Lamar Jackson and some, I think Kyler Murray too. How about health concerns? You got, you think they can keep this up? I know week one, Lamar Jackson didn't run much, but he ran a lot yesterday. I'm seeing a lot of small quarterbacks running around out there, but it's funny to me. I think they're almost a little safer than the big guys like Carson Wentz. If he keeps taking those hits, he's going to get hurt where I see Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson and Gardner Minshew on Sunday, they're running around and they're not getting hit squarely all the time. Yeah, so so you know, when both these guys are coming out, was Lamar, but in particular Kyler Murray, when I was I was talking about draft and you know, where I see him as a pro, that is a concern. Again, you know, if you go back to other similar smaller quarterbacks, you know, I go right to Russell Wilson. You know, Russell Wilson is put together like a fullback. Uh, you know, he's extremely compact and strong, but that does allow you know, fewer shots by the defense. You just have sort of less surface area. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're smaller. You can get into cracks a little bit. You have less, you know, places uh, where the defense can really hit you. So uh, I can see these guys being, you know, listen, Doug Flutie played for like 97 years in the NFL. Right. Uh, and he was a very, very small guy. So that's why I, I see Kyler Murray as a really, I would say Doug Flutie of anybody would be his closest com- comparison. You know, he's a very good thrower. I, that's one thing is by the way, Tyler Murray is a 
very good thrower of the football. He's natural. He was really accurate at Oklahoma. Yep. And when I talk look at these college quarterbacks and I'm watching these, the film, um, you know, people talk about arm strength. You know, Josh Allen had a big arm and these things, but I look at for accuracy and decision making. Uh, and he made a lot of really good decisions. He was extremely accurate, and he's got maybe the quickest speed I've ever seen a quarterback have uh, in college and now pro football. So. I could see all those guys playing for a long time, but yes, will they play until they're 43 or 44 years old? Uh, you know, like Tom Brady, will they play into their forties like a Drew Brees or probably Aaron Rodgers? I don't know. And that is, uh, that is a little bit of a concern and that that's why these guys have to continually get better as passers and rely on their legs less and less over time. But when they're young, man, take advantage of it. If you can stay healthy, but over time, if you want to play for, for a long, long time, play past 35 years old, you got to become an, uh, an unbelievable passer, and you got to understand defenses and, and blitzes and those things so you can get the ball out so you can try to eliminate those hits. And that's my, again, my biggest concern about Kyler. My biggest concern about Patrick Mahomes uh, is the fact that Patrick's not a big guy. I don't no. know what his exact numbers are, but he looks like he's about 6'2", 215, and that's not very big. And the guys that play a long time, Peyton Manning, you know, Brett Favre, Big, strong guys. And, you know, Favre is only about 6'2", but really strong, sort of country strong. Uh, and, uh, and, and the smaller guys, you wonder if they can play for a long, long time. All right, Sage, I'll let you go in a second, but I, I do have a little bit of an issue with two, two quarterback evaluations that you've had. I don't know if you can guess which quarterback. Now, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I'm very close friends with Case Keenum. I did a book with him, and I'm also— I Case Keenum. Well, I feel like you're a little— And my other guy is Andy Dalton. I feel like you're— a, a little critical of those two guys who, by the way, are cut out of the same mold as you are, you know, hardworking guys in the NFL, making a career. Is that unfair that sometimes uh, am I being overly sensitive for my guys there or have you been critical? Well, of this? I, I'm wondering what, what you thought I've been critical. Uh, one, I've always loved Case Keenum. You know, I, I, I cover the Vikings really closely. I write for the Athletic and I work for a radio station up in Minneapolis, Score North. And I love, I, I've known Case Keenum's game since back when I was at the Houston Texans and he was at the University of Houston. And he got this kid over there under Art Briles' offense. And man, he's showing for like 47 touchdowns every single year, three, four, five touchdowns every game. So I've sort of followed him all the way back. I left Houston. Case ends up signing there, I believe, as an undrafted free agent. And uh, he was sort of a fan favorite. And he played in the preseason, played pretty well. And I just always, I think he's a gamer. I've always loved Case Keenum's game and not a big arm, but definitely a gamer. A guy that I'd love to have on my football team. I apologize. Uh, I I, you some, I'm so sorry. I thought I, 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 thought I remembered a critical tweet of yours. Yeah, no, I remember. Uh, I thought that. I don't, I don't, maybe I have. Listen, I mean, everyone's going to be criticized. I'll be critical of Tom Brady on occasion if, yeah. he, throws, if he has a bad game, right? So, you know, maybe it's a bad game. You know, Andy Dalton, the hard part for me is Andy Dalton. I get asked about him is. I actually watch so few Cincinnati games. Gotcha. And yeah. you know, they're just not on national television very much. You know, I'm usually covering the NFC North and obviously you watch the Sunday night and Monday night games and but you know, the Cincinnati Baltimore game uh, at noon is, you know, I'm probably not gonna have a good chance to see so I'll see <laughs> some highlights. And, you know, over them for the most part, they're usually not wins. Uh, but I've always liked, you know, I really have actually liked liked Dalton's game. Uh, you know, they never spend all their money in Cincinnati. So it's, it's almost like he's playing with 80% of like what a lot of other guys are playing with as far as salary cap dollars spent and things like that. So uh, listen, I think there's a lot of NFL teams 
who would like to have Andy Dalton as a quarterback. Sure, I think the Minnesota Vikings right now might be interested in having Andy Dalton. Oh, uh, I, I I would put Andy as a, a top twenty guy in the NFL. Got it. Uh, for starter, that's that 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 would be my opinion. You know, he's not a top. I don't need a top fifteen or top twelve guy, but uh, I, I think he's a good starter, and there's a reason he's been there for a long time. It's hard to find a guy who one is consistently plays and doesn't get hurt very much, but puts up solid numbers year after year. And uh, they haven't found anybody else to think that can be that can do better than that. It's a great year, by the way, for backup quarterbacks already. I mean, we see uh, Breeze out uh, for a while, Big Ben out for the season now. Just the report came out. Uh, it feels like by by week sixteen, we're going to be two, three, four deep on quarterback depth charts. Uh, don't you think it would be a, well, a yeah, fun I, year to I, be there? I, worked, I basically haven't worked out in seven years, <laughs> but I figure if I can really, if I can go hire a trainer, and I got about six weeks in me, yeah, uh, I'll be ready by about week ten. Uh, <laughs> so you know, we'll, 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 we'll see how things are going that last month of the season. Should I should I label this podcast breaking news? Sage Roosevelt's considering comeback. Is that fair? At forty one, hey, if uh, if Josh McCown can unretire, you know <laughs> why can't I? Why can't I? Oh, great! I really appreciate your time. Uh, sorry, I doubted your loyalty to uh, certain quarterbacks. I'll never do that again. But and congrats again on on being here in the record book. You're in great company. I know Mahomes is adding the list of guys who does it, but that's a good guy to be on the same list with, right? I mean, you, you'll take that. that. Listen, there are worst lists out there. That's for dang sure. And, uh, you know, the, the staff of NFL quarterbacks are really interesting. And, you know, I threw for four touchdowns in one game. It's a great stat. Yep. Uh, you know, my belief that, you know, I, I think with quarterbacks is the stats that I think are important, truly, uh, what, I, what I call clutch stats. You know, clutch stats are third downs, they're red zone, they're at the end of the first half and, and, and at the end of the game. Mm. You know, those are the clutch moments. And, you know, Gary Kubiak was one of my favorite offensive coordinators, obviously my head coach in Houston. And he used to talk about, you know, first and second down, I can get anybody to do first and second down pretty dang good. Third down is where a quarterback mm. makes their money. Uh, you know, so third down, red zone, again, end of the first half, end of the game. That's where, like, Tom Brady is great. Uh, you know, and so, you know, he may not have the best stats in the NFL, but I bet you those stats, he's always in the top five. Okay, real quick, can you name the four recipients of your touchdown passes? Ooh, in that game. Um, yes, I'm going to go ahead and say Jeb Putzier. One. I'm going to say D- David Anderson. Yep, two. Uh, Andre Davis was the last one. Right, you got one more. And in there. the next one, uh, Owen Daniels. I'm not sure who the fourth one was. Kevin Walter. Kevin Walter, yes. Yeah, I remember him. He was Kevin good. Walter. Owen Daniels yeah, that, caught some passes, but he didn't get a touchdown. Kevin Walter, I remember the play. It was uh, <laughs> it was a, a dragon play, which was a, which a slant. It was a slant to the right hand side. Uh, you want to do a Sean McVay real quick? Yeah, let me hear it. David Anderson's David Anderson's touchdown was strong right, uh, F short, two jet flanker drive, mm-hmm. uh, zebra Texas. Uh, Jeff Putzier was empty right. Uh, scat right, uh, uh, like Omaha triple slant. Uh, Kevin Walters was, again, it was dragon to the right. I'm not, or maybe it was X slant, it was dragon to the right. And then the last play, we ran with about 50 seconds left in the game. We're at midfield, and we called it, you know, Andre Davis was Michael Vick's receiver in college, and so he could even outrun Michael Vick's arm. Uh, so basically, we put him on, he was in the slot, and we put him on sort of a, a, a corner post route. Uh, uh, Mike Sherman was the offensive coordinator. So it was smash zebra up. 
I believe was that play. And I basically just caught the ball on the shotgun and like hell Mary just bought time. <laughs> just sort of look at, I didn't even look at the defense, just knew Andre at some point was going to be down there. It was going to be him in a safety, which is, you know, safeties play safety because they can't catch who wants to play safety really. Right. So they all want, they all want to play wide receiver. So I believe just bought time, escaped Kyle Van and Bosch and threw it as far as I could. And Andre Davis came down with it. And the rest is NFL history. I love it, Sage. There that was go. that was good, man. No memory loss there. You nailed that. <laughs> Although Not you, bad. you did bad. give Owen Daniels a touchdown, but I, I'm sure he was a great player, so you'd appreciate it. All right, I appreciate the time, and I would love to talk to you as the season goes on. And, and we didn't even get into the Vikings. I know you do Vikings radio. I definitely want to see how this Kirk Cousins thing plays out because it seems like the local fans are getting a little restless. Uh, I, they were restless last year. Yeah, uh, and uh, that was that was ugly. That was bad. And I'm actually I, I just this this morning I watched the first half. I'm about to watch the second half here. Um, it's not good. It's not good. So uh, we'll see how the the season goes on. The, the tough part is uh, he is under contract for twenty eight million dollars for next year. Also, so yep. I don't know what uh, what they can do with that if if they have another unsuccessful Ooh. season. All right, we'll see. All right, Sage, talk soon, bud. Okay, sounds good. Oh, man, it's always great catching up with Sage. We hung out a lot at the Minnesota Super Bowl. He's like the mayor of Minnesota, former Viking, and does some media for them up there. And, of course, I didn't get into it, one of the great Jewish quarterbacks of all time, up right up there with uh, Sid Luckman. Uh, I put Julian Edelman on that list, played quarterback at Kent State. Jay Fiedler, who went to Dartmouth with me. I could go on and on, Mario. There are so many of them. Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, that might be the whole list, actually. Well, I guess if you go into the olden days. Uh, I'm excited. Later in the week, we're going to be talking to Craig Allenport, who wrote a book, NFL 100 Greatest Moments, and ranked them, and it's super controversial. I don't think I don't think you're going to like... You're not as much of an NFL historian as me, Mario. Yeah, I mean, my... Probably a history of the NFL goes back to like 2001, oh, and that's being generous. Oh, man, you youngsters. Uh, we'll also go over the week three lines, like I said earlier in the podcast. Man, there's so much overreaction. We don't know anything after two weeks. I don't know anything, but I really don't pretend to know anything about a team like the Niners who beat up on the Bengals. Jimmy G, do you know Jimmy G is at like 8-1 and one in his last nine games as a starter? And I don't even know if he's played well yet. All right, we're going to get into all that later in the week. If you haven't subscribed or you haven't rated and reviewed and done all that fun stuff, please do that. We're having a lot of fun here, and we want you to join us on the Against the Grain podcast. Talk to you later in the week.